Handy history teaching tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy history teaching tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is head of department and a senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. Uh, if you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, then drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet one of us. Um, I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at... Snelson H. At Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This conversation is part of the series All Things Saucy, Top Tips to Help Students Using Sources as Evidence. Hello. This podcast is about top tips for helpful teacher talk when using sources. Yes, something I hear often from new teachers is the muddling of sources and evidence. The source is the fragment of the past that's left to us. And a source is something that survives from the past. And a source can only become evidence when we use it to make sense of the past. That's to answer questions about it. It's actually quite straightforward when you think of it last way, that way, but actually very easy to muddle up. What do you find, Sally? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think it's, you know, you mean like the Bayeux Tapestry, which is a, a lovely piece of medieval embroidery. Um, and it tells us a cracking yarn about the Battle of Hastings, but which historians also use to evidence um, what happened at the battle and even how Harold met his sticky end. Exactly. And if we don't all as teachers keep that really clear for our students, how on earth can they be expected to know? Historians love sources, but they do things with them. They use them as evidence. Right. And if the students aren't recognising that and, and that they need to be a bit more discerning when they're using sources as evidence, it makes it really difficult for them to get into the habit of asking the right questions about the source. So top tip one for your teacher talk is to highlight to students that using sources is part of the process of being a historian and something a bit elevated from visiting an art gallery and looking at the pictures, which is really lovely, but it's not the same. I love that good analogy. Uh, through our teacher talk, we can help students to bump into conceptual words and phrases that will help them speak and write their own thoughts about sources and evidence. And I think for me, top tip number two then is let's talk about types of sources to students. Let's really overtly talk about artefacts, texts, objects, oral accounts, um, written records, archaeological finds, love a good one of those up in Yorkshire, mm -hmm. as sources, these are historians can use as evidence to make their interpretations of the past. I think if we use that language, let's be really clear that these sources are not used by all historians as well. So medieval historians use different sources and they use different sources differently as well from historians of the 20th century. I think it really helps to be specific to time period when you're talking about types of sources. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. I always think of history as this kind of living, breathing animal. It changes all the time and the way people interact with it changes all the time. 
Um, so let's, you know, also teacher talk the right words and phrases in our questions. So um, what can we infer from this source about um, or if you use your contextual knowledge, how can you use this source as evidence for um, or what happens when you compare this source against your contextual knowledge? Does it hold up when you test that source with what you already know um, or why does this suggest? Yes. I love that tentative language. Using specific phrases to speak to each other can really, really help the students too. Yeah, definitely. Get them practice saying, I think this source is convincing because it says something like that. Um, another one would be, however, this source seems to contradict. Um, really getting them actually using that language, feeling it almost in their mouths, on their tongues, I think is really helpful. Another one would be, it is helpful to know. Yeah, I think it's really important to model that and to get them to practice it because they just, you know, always think that teenagers deal in black and white and they like to be definite. So they're not used to ever being unsure about things. Um, and I've got a set of bingo cards with phrases like that printed onto them. Um, and I hand those out to students when we're discussing sources of evidence because that helps to give them the language that they need. They've got them there right in front of them. Um, my next top tip is to use questions to get them thinking about the provenance of the source too. Uh, so who do you think was supposed to listen to this or read this or see this? Um, I think that gets them thinking about audience and the same with purpose. I always ask questions like, why did this person produce this? You know, somebody spent time and possibly money creating this source. Paper's expensive, um, you know, other, other materials are very expensive. Uh, what made them want to put in that effort? Um, or what perspective informed this? Um, and closely related to that, we discuss how the nature of a piece of evidence changes our understandings of it as evidence. So my favourite artefact to discuss this around um, is the abolitionist's sugar bowl that Wedgwood made. It's very existence as a vessel uh, for non-slave grown sugar um, tells you something about yeah, the, the ideas of the time, what people were thinking at the time. Oh, it's just, just a lovely example. And I, I think it is worth spending time as a team of teachers thinking really carefully about what language surrounding the use of sources as evidence we need our students to have. And so therefore, how we can really plan very deliberately and precisely our teacher talk so that our students are going to gain that confidence and the knowledge that they need. So that as a team, we've got some almost standardised phrases, standardised language that we know we need when studying sources, when we're inferring from them, when we're connecting them, when we're putting them in context, when we're, when we're judging them. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, so my final tip would be that you need to find some time in a department meeting or on an inset day or, you know, down the pub at the end of the day to pull your collective strategies for teacher talk around sources and agree some common terms and questions to use. And these could go on bingo cards for use across the department to really encourage students to think hard about sources um, as, a, as pieces of evidence in the classroom. You could stick them up on the walls, use them in class, repeat them often, have them on, you know, lots of slides, pop, pop them up every so often. Um, so try to be consistent in, in dripping that into the students and also to be really precise with it as well. So, so can I share my new favourite metaphor for sources, Sally? Oh, yeah, I'd love you to. That would be great. Well, 
My current favourite metaphor for sources comes from the history academic Dr. Sean Pooley at the University of Oxford. It was just one of those moments when she explained it. I just thought, oh my God, that works. Does it work for you? Here it goes. Right. Sean talks about sources as windows we look through. So, okay, we are in a house called the present. The past is outside. And first point is, of course, we cannot see all of the outside through one window. Just go and try it. You can't. It's brilliant. Just like a source. You can't see all of the past through one source. Different windows give us different views. It's just gorgeous. I love this. For example, a skylight window source gives us a view on the leaders of society like kings, queens, prime ministers, presidents. And some windows distort the image. You know, those ones with like thick uh, um, uh coloured glass or yeah just thick bricks that you can't see through yeah yeah um really distort our view and it's 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 not um it's not unuseful but it is a coloured image or a just a a not very clear image and I just I just love it sources as windows when I heard this I love the metaphor and I think it's really helpful way to get across a complex idea of sources and the past to students um so my final tip for today is whatever it is find a great metaphor as a team and and use it something that students can really hang on to yeah, oh, I I love that. That's I think that's a great metaphor. Um, it makes me think of a of a house. Our our house in the present has a lot of skylights and not many windows down low because most of our sources are about leaders in society in in some cases in some periods. Um, anyway, yeah. sorry. Um, can you recommend any further reading on this? Um, yeah, <laughs> tough one. I think a great starting place uh, would be Rosalind Ashby's chapter on understanding historical evidence. It's in the second edition of the Routledge Debates in History Teaching book. Um, that's a book that really should be on every departmental shelf. Debates in History Teaching is edited by Ian Davis and there was a second edition published in 2017 and Ros Ashby's chapter's in there. She does a really good summary of, of where we're think, thinking has got to in relation to sources, well, until 18 months ago. OK, so wrapping up now, it's time for closing tip time on the topic of well-being. And I think that one's over to Sally because we're taping this in half, doing this in half term. Oh, yeah. My tip is completely simple today. It's just four words long. Gin and a nap. That is what is best for your well-being. We're certainly what is best for my well-being. Gin. Love it. <laughs> Till next time. Yeah, Bye. Thanks, Helen. <laughs>